Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. that you're all here and uh, today we're going to be finishing up the uh, the series that we've been in in Hebrews chapter 11 called by faith next week we're going to be kicking off a brand new uh, sermon series that we're calling dear church dear church anybody in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 Jesus wrote letters seven of them to the seven churches in the in the area there uh, of that area and he wrote seven letters and they were seven letters to the churches and so we're calling the series Dear Church and we're going to be looking at each one of those letters each week and so I want to encourage you to be here to invite someone to come and to join us as we look at Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 and as we dive into that together but as we uh, as I said as I opened over the last six weeks we've been examining what it means to live by faith and studying Hebrews 11 and the writer opens up with that concept or that definition of faith right there in verse 1 and then illustrates it throughout. And so we've been looking at those illustrations and in week 1 we opened up with that definition. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen or not seen. And as we have said, faith is all about who or what we choose to believe in. People have faith in all kinds of things. Everybody has faith. It's just a matter of what is the substance of your faith. Everybody puts their faith, puts their hope, puts, puts their, their reasoning or their beliefs that they have, they believe that for a reason based on something or someone or some concept. So the Bible and Jesus Christ is not the only place when it comes to faith. In fact, religion is not the only place when it comes to faith. Every one of us live a certain way, hoping for some kind of an outcome, and that outcome is based on something that we believe, and what we have chosen to believe is where we have our faith. Faith is the substance. It's not just a hope upon hope. It's not just a religious thing. Oh, I've got faith. I want to know, if you say you have faith, what is the substance of your faith? What's the hope and yet what is unseen that you believe by living this way, by doing these things, this is going to be the outcome of my life? In the American dream, there is a, a faith in the American dream that if I work hard and I have good ideas and I do this, that what ought to follow ought to be a good life. I ought to have a nice home. I ought to have a couple of automobiles. I ought to have a couple of, uh, a wife and a couple of kids and a dog or a cat or some kind of, you know, and we're just going to live out the American dream. What is that based on? Some kind of a philosophy, some kind of an understanding, some kind of a substance. Faith is the substance. What is the substance of your faith? And we've been talking about the substance of our faith being the Word of God, being Jesus Christ. And that's what Hebrews is all about, is that the substance of our faith, the hope of our faith, is found in Jesus Christ and what He has done. And the evidence of things unseen that is I can't see it but what I trust is that the evidence around the substance that I put my faith will bring into view the things that I don't presently see 
And this was evidence through illustrations. And so we began to unpack this. And in the Old Testament, those whose lives are examples of those who lived by faith in God, in the Word of God, in Jesus Christ. So we looked at Abel, who was right there in the beginning, one of the sons of Adam and Eve, and Abel worshipped by faith. We looked at Enoch, and Enoch walked by faith. We looked at Noah. Noah built an ark. He worked by faith. We looked at Abraham for two weeks and saw that he journeyed by faith and that he waited by faith. And today we're going to finish our series with a synopsis of all of the others mentioned in this wonderful chapter on faith, and we're going to look at the choice of faith. How many of you know we all have to make choices in life? Anybody disappointed in the Indians not making the postseason? <laughs> yeah, the Indians didn't make the postseason, but it could be worse. In 1920, the management of the Boston Red Sox made a bad choice to sell Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees. And after joining the New York Yankees, in 10 out of the next 12 seasons, Babe Ruth hit more home runs than the entire Red Sox team. Red Sox didn't win a World Series from 1918 to 2004. That's a long time, isn't it? That's a bad choice. That was a bad decision. In 1938, Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel sold their rights for a comic book character that they had invented for $130. Who was the name of that comic book character? Superman. Superman. In 1955, Sam Phillips sold RCA Victor Records, uh, sold to RCA Victor Records his exclusive contract with a young singer by the name of Elvis Presley, thus forfeiting royalties of more than a billion records. Those are some bad choices, aren't they? I mean, we all have choices to make. There are choices that we have to make. And when it comes to faith, there are choices that we make. We either will choose to trust in Jesus Christ or we'll choose to trust in someone or something else or maybe even trust in ourselves. Bad choice. What do we choose? What are the crossroads? Faith brings us to a crossroads, oftentimes a crossroads of decision. And as we sum up the remaining chapter of Hebrews chapter 11, I want to share with you three choices of faith. Three choices of faith. Number one is this. Faith is this. Choosing to believe God's promise even when circumstances contradict those promises. Faith is all about choosing to believe God's promise even when the circumstances around us would contradict those promises being fulfilled. Last week we saw how God did the impossible for Abraham and Sarah as they waited for the fulfillment of a promise of a son. Abraham and Sarah were given this promise when Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 65 and they were unable, to, Sarah was unable to conceive. Even if God would have answered at that point when Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 65, even if God would have answered right away with that promise, it still would have been a miracle. And yet God chose to wait 25 years before he fulfilled the promise. God wanted to make sure that all who heard and all who would read would see that nothing is impossible with God. Amen? But what follows God's provision is something that would seem to contradict that promise. How many have ever found yourself in a place where God leads you to a place where it seems contradictory to what you should believe? Something that he brings you, he brings you to a place where you go... I don't think that is, that seems impossible. I don't see how that could come about. I don't see why you're asking me to do this. Why would you ask me to give up my job and to go into ministry? Why would you, why would you ask me to trust you with my children when, when I, I, I don't trust them <laughs> and the decisions they make? Right? I know some of you are laughing because you're there. You're there. 
Well, here's, here's the, we're going to call this the test of faith because the test of faith is to believe in the promises of God even when the circumstances would contradict those promises. Here's what Genesis 22, 1 to 2, where we go back to the context of what we'll read in Hebrews chapter 11 in a minute. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, hold on a second. Human sacrifice? You want me to do what? You're asking me to sacrifice Isaac? Hold on. Isaac is the, is the son that you promised me. It took 25 years before we saw the fulfillment of this promise. We were old then. I was 100, and Sarah was 99 when you brought about that miracle. Now Isaac is growing up. We're even more advanced in age, and you're asking me to do what? You want me to sacrifice my son? Now, how many know that this request by God seems to contradict everything that Abraham believed? In fact, if we break it down, there are several contradictions. There's a theological contradiction. God has never asked before, in, in, in the history up to this point of the Bible, God has never asked for a human sacrifice. Human sacrifice was something that, that the other nations, to their gods, to, to those false gods, to, that's the way that they worshipped, was by human sacrifice to please their gods. God has never asked for that before. That would contradict theologically everything about God. It was not something that God ever approved or ever required. Secondly, there was an emotional contradiction. Notice that, that verse 2 says to take your son, your only son, whom you love. Your son whom you love. Abraham loved Isaac. Abraham, Abraham had waited for Isaac. Abraham loved Isaac. This was a contradiction emotionally because God was asking him to sacrifice something that he loved very dearly. There was an emotional contradiction. Secondly, or thirdly, there was a relational contradiction. Try explaining that to Sarah. In the verses that follow, it says what Abraham does. Abraham gets up very early in the morning to leave. Why do you think he got up early in the morning? Because he didn't want to have to explain it to Sarah. It was a relational contradiction. Hey, Sarah, oh, I just heard from the Lord. You know Isaac, our son, the one that we waited for? Well, God says I'm supposed to take him to a mountain, and I'm supposed to sacrifice him. You don't think that's going to create a little bit of emotional, or a little bit of relational conflict? Even if he didn't tell her right away, and he went, and he comes back all, hey, where's Isaac? Well, I kind of sacrificed him to the Lord. That was worship. I'm thinking there's a bit of a relational conflict that that would cause. There's, there's conflicts, there's contradictions to the very word and promise of God, and yet what does Abraham do? Abraham obeys. Genesis 22, 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. Why would Abraham obey a command of God that seemed contradictory to the very word and promise of God? Why would he do that? The answer is faith. This is what Hebrews 11 explains about this very scene. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. 
See, when the circumstances in front of Abraham seem to contradict what he has come to believe about God, he chooses to trust God's word. And what was the word that he trusted? What was the promise that he trusted? It's right here in this verse. It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. It's not through another son. It wasn't through Ishmael. It is going to be through Isaac. And so what Abraham had come to understand is, is that if God is going to fulfill his promise, because anything that I have noticed, everything that I know about God that I have seen about God is that God fulfills his promise he asked me to leave everything behind of Ur and the Chaldees and I did and you know what God has provided for me all along the way and he has always kept his promise God promised me a son and even though I tried to bring it about in my own way and even a couple of times when I lied and almost got Sarah into trouble where that promise couldn't come about God protected his promise and God told me that it would be through Isaac and when I was a hundred and Sarah was 99 God provided that son miraculously God could do the impossible God could raise a dead womb God could raise a dead son because he said it's through Isaac that this promise is going to be in fulfillment. So God, I don't understand it, but if you're asking me to sacrifice, then I believe that you could even raise Isaac from the death because you said in your word, that's the promise, that's what I'm standing on. I'm believing your word. I'm believing, God, that you don't lie. And I'm believing that you have the power to fulfill your promises. All of us know that there are people that break promises. Oftentimes they break promises because, number one, they have good intentions, but they, they don't have the ability or the power to be able to carry it out. How many of you know what that's all about? But God doesn't just have good intentions. God has the very power to bring about what he has promised. He has the power to bring about what he has promised. This is one of those situations like we sang in that last song about show us your glory, show us your glory, and then we said chains fall and fear bow why Jesus here now Jesus you change everything that's what I was trying to bring about in this because when Jesus is in the midst it doesn't matter what the circumstances around seem to contradict Jesus changes everything he is like we said last week God is not just the God of the what he is the God of the how and Abraham's faith was not rooted in a promise of descendants. If it was, he'd have never taken Isaac to be sacrificed. He wouldn't have relinquished what God had promised years earlier. He would have clung tightly to Isaac, feeling as if he was entitled to his son. Abraham wasn't clinging to his own understanding of the fulfillment of God's promise. God could fulfill what he had chosen, including raising Isaac from the dead if he needed to. So ultimately, Abraham's faith lay in the trustworthiness of God. And that's where our faith lies. Our faith doesn't lie in our circumstances. It doesn't lie with what's in our hands. It lies within what God can do with what's in our hands. What God can do according to his word. It, it's into the trustworthy. Do we trust God? Is God trustworthy? That's the substance of faith. Faith comes down to whether we believe that God is trustworthy or not. Whether we believe his word is trustworthy or not. If you don't truly believe that God is trustworthy or that his word is trustworthy, then you will make all kinds of decisions based on your own reasoning I don't trust you God so I'm gonna do it this way I don't trust you God so I'm gonna make this decision well I'm going along and I'm going along and I'm going along but God that doesn't seem to to compute with me so I'm gonna make a different decision why because we don't really trust God that's the really the that's the, that's the, the real part is that we don't really trust God Abraham's faith was not based 
on, on himself. It was based on the trustworthiness of God. And his faith alone was in the promiser. And he knew that God himself could provide. He was willing to live open-handed and understood what Job understood. Naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. That's what Job said in Job 1.21. Job's faith, Abraham's faith remained steady regardless of the circumstances even when they didn't make sense. Why? Because they learned how to trust in God and not the gifts of God. They learn how to trust in God and not just the gifts that he gives. Too many times our faith is shaken when, again, God gives, but when God takes away. We love when God gives. We love when we are walking in the blessings of God. We love when we're experiencing the blessings of God. But when God begins to take and God says, I'm going to remove that that you love. I'm going to ask you to put that that you love back in my hands. I'm going to ask you to trust that with me. We go, whoa. That's unfair, God. Uh, how can you be loving? Well, God, how, how can you do that? God says, will you, will you trust me or my gifts? Do you love me or my gifts? And, and not that we don't go through a battle. We do. We, we go through a battle. But the question really comes down to, do we trust that God is trustworthy? Do we believe that God is is trustworthy. Abraham could do whatever God asked, including offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice, because if God promised descendants through Isaac, he would have to raise Isaac from the dead. Abraham wasn't holding on to a particular outcome, he was holding on to God. And in your life, are you holding on to an outcome, or are you holding on to God? Are you holding on to an outcome that if God doesn't bring about the outcome that you want, that you're going to be disappointed and you're going to stop trusting him? Or do you trust in God no matter what the outcome might be because God might have something better planned for you? See, at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, that's what it's all about. I just skip ahead. I'm going to get there, but I'm just going to skip ahead because what it talks about is, is they were hoping for something better. They never actually received the promise. They didn't see the Messiah. They didn't see Jesus Christ. That's what we experienced. Yet they had faith and they held on even though they didn't experience the outcome that they were holding on to because there was something better that they knew was coming. And that's the question about faith is will you hang on even though the outcome may not be what you want or when you want it. Corey Ten Boom once commented that she had learned to hold on to the things of this world loosely in her hand because she knew that if she grasped them too tightly, then the Lord would have to pry your fingers away and it would hurt. And so I ask you, is there anything in your life that you're withholding from God? Is there anything in your life that it's going to hurt if he has to pry it out of your hands? You may be feeling that what God is asking you to sacrifice, to surrender to him as a contradiction to what he has promised. However, you will never truly see the mighty provision of God if you are not willing to let go. Genesis 22, 10 to 14, then he, meaning Abraham, reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, the Lord said. The angel said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And look at this. Look at what happened. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. 
And when he went over, he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And here's what he came to understand. This is what he came, this is what he learned. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. You know the, the name of the Lord that the Lord will provide? You know what it is? Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. You will never see the provision of the Lord until you are willing to let go and fully trust him. You will never fully see what God can provide until you're willing to let go. You will never see salvation of Jesus Christ as a substitute for your sin on the cross as that sacrifice unless you are willing to let go of your, of your sin, unless you are willing to let go of your self-righteousness, that is, your ability to be righteous by yourself, to do good deeds, to try to, to earn it, to try to undo all the guilt and all the shame by all the good things that you can do. Unless you're willing to, to surrender that, you will never see the provision of salvation. Isaac shows us a picture of what God did with his son, Jesus Christ. He didn't require that of Abraham, but he required of Abraham was obedience and being willing to live open-handedly. And then what he found when he was willing to live open-handedly and said, okay, God, this is what I love. This is what I waited for. This is what I love. But you know what? I'm going to give it to you because I trust you, and I love you more than I love the gift. Come on, there's good stuff here contradicting the promise of God. In fact, that's what we see with what follows. By faith, Isaac, uh, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when the end was near, spoke about the exodus of the, of the, of the Israelites from Egypt and gave constructions concerning the burial of his bones. When it talks about Isaac, Isaac didn't even own any land except a small piece of burial in the a burial plot, a, a, a place where, where his mother had been buried, a place where, where others had been buried. That's all he owned in the promised land and yet he gave that same promise he blessed his sons Jacob and Esau the same way why by faith they were not a nation they were just a family yet he called out by faith what they would become the same promise was passed down to Jacob and we see that in time he ends up leaving the land of Canaan that God had promised for Egypt because of a famine. But his son Joseph had been sent on ahead to preserve and yet they left it behind. But Jacob's blessing shows that he knew that God would bring about what he promised in his time. He hadn't fulfilled it. Everything seemed contradictory yet he spoke into what was unseen. He spoke in faith. That's what he did. Joseph does the same thing. As he's dying, he speaks prophetically about the exodus that would come years later out of slavery. And he tells him to take his bones back and to be buried in the land that God promised. By faith, he believed that God would fulfill his promise even though present circumstances said otherwise. Do you trust God that you can believe and you can speak and you can share what you believe is going to come, not based on your current circumstances, but based on what you know about God? What you know that God can do. See, faith believes God's promises even when circumstances seem to contradict them. Hebrews 11, 29 and 30, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. And when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. See, this is what God says. God says, I will deliver you. Circumstances say there's a sea in front of you and you cannot pass by. Yet despite the circumstances, God says, I can part that sea if I want to and fulfill my promise. 
You see those walls? You see that city of Jericho? You see those walls that seem impenetrable? You see how impossible that seems? Listen, I'm not telling you to attack. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to march around it. You go and march around it once, all right, every day for six days. On the seventh day, you're going to march around it not once. You're going to march around it seven times. And at the end of that, you're going to lift up a shout of praise to me. And I'm going to show you what I do with a shout of praise. I'm going to show you what I do when you lift up your voice to me, when you put your attention on me, when you put your faith on me. I make the impossible possible. Circumstances change if you will believe. Second choice, choosing to believe God's promise even when you don't trust God can use you. See, oftentimes it's not so much that we don't trust God, we don't trust ourselves. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The next group of people that we see are those with a little less than stellar character, if you know what I mean. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 is filled with all kinds of folks that show themselves to be very real. That's what I love about the Bible is it doesn't make these heroes of the faith people that we can never live up to. We look at these people and we go, hey, I do that. Hey, they're just like me. Oh, wow. What am I talking about? Hebrews 11, 31 to 34. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what, what more shall I say? I, I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak, Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames. Who's that we're talking? What's he alluding to? Daniel and the lion's den. Who's he referring to? He's referring to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. This list is filled with flawed individuals. Rahab is described as a prostitute, and yet she's included not only here, but in James chapter 2, she's included alongside Abraham when it's talking about faith accompanied by works. God took and God trains the, the, the trajectory of a prostitute by the name of Rahab. Why? Because she put her faith. She recognized what God was doing. She didn't exactly know how to go about it, but she chose to protect the spies and to identify with the people of God rather than to say identify with the people in Jericho. Rather than to believe that their own strength was going to keep them, she chose to rely on, on, on God and his strength. And despite her past history and as a prostitute and as a Gentile, that is an unbeliever, she chose to, that God could redeem even a sinner like her. And I don't have time for all the details, but if you take a look at Matthew and his genealogy, Rahab is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about redeeming faith. Come on, that's something to get excited about. Verse 32, man, I love it. He says, I don't have time to tell you all the stories so, and, and a list. I'm just going to give you a list. You know, sometimes as a preacher, I look at the clock and I'm like, well, I got to speed this up a little bit. I don't have time for all. That's what he says. I don't have time for all that. But let me tell you about a few. Let me tell you about Gideon. Gideon. You know what, Gideon? Gideon was fearful. Gideon was fearful. If you travel back 3,000 years, you meet a man named Gideon. The angel of the Lord had said to him one day, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> and Gideon, you know where Gideon was? 
Gideon was, was threshing wheat in a wine press. Why? Because he was afraid. Because every year at harvest time, the Midianite army would come. A vast army would come from the east at harvest time, and they would plunder. They would come in. So, so they let the Israelites farm. They let the Israelites work. They work hard. They work hard. Harvest time would come. And just like the bully who wants to steal your lunch money, the Midianites would come in, and they would steal the harvest. And then they would leave. And then next year they'd come back and they'd do it again. So the Israelites are trying to get crafty. And, and, and Gideon's getting a little crafty. And so he's inside the wine press. And he's treading. And all of a sudden the angel of the Lord shows up and says, Mighty warrior. And he's like, Mighty warrior? What, are you kidding me? What are you talking about? I'm hiding. All right? Anybody ever been fearful before? Everybody ever afraid? God says, I want you to do that. And like Gideon, you're going, I can't do that. Did you look at me? I don't have the talent for that. I can't do that. I, 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 I'm not that kind of person. I can't do that. And yet, that's what God did. God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you. You're the man to deliver my people. Gideon's like, not me. In fact, Gideon was so kind of tentative. He's like, well, Lord, if you really want me to do this, I, I have this fleece here, and I'm going to put it on the ground, and, and I want you to keep the fleece dry and make the ground wet with dew when I wake up in the morning. And he did it. Now, some of us, you'd like, that'd be enough. Well, maybe that was a fluke. I don't know if that was you. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to put that down. I want you to make the fleece wet with dew and the ground dry. Twice. Why? Because he was afraid. And yet God used him and includes him here. He was not confident in faith. He was fearful. So if you go, boy, I just don't know about this faith thing. I mean, I'm a little bit afraid. Guess what? You're in good company. If God can use Gideon, God can use you. Then he mentions this guy, Barak. And Barak was timid. Because when you mention his name, you can't help but mention another name by the name of Deborah. Who was Deborah? Deborah was not his wife. Deborah was a female judge in Israel. Why was Deborah a female judge in Israel? Because none of the men were willing to stand up. That's nothing against women. Women in leadership, I'm, I'm all for that, all right? I'm all for that. But let me tell you something. Sometimes there are women in leadership because there are men that won't stand up. Because they're too timid. Where are the men of God? Where are the men of God to lead their households in faith and not leave it to their wives to do the Bible studies at home or to pray with their children? Oh, I'm off making the money. Big deal. Why don't you be a priest of your home? Where are you, mighty men of valor? Barak was timid. Spiritual life of Israel had fallen so low. After 20 years of a humiliation in the hands of the Canaanites, God raised up a prophetess by the name of Deborah to represent them. And since Barak had commanded the army... Deborah sent for him and told him to go into battle. And she didn't, she didn't get, she just said, listen, here's the battle plan. This is what, this is what the Lord is saying. I'm, this is what the Lord is saying. This is Judges 4, 6, and 7. She gives the battle plan. Go rally the troops. Get into battle. And here's Brock's timid response, Judges 4, 8. Well, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Hey, Deborah, will you hold my hand and go into battle? I'm not going to go unless you hold my hand. Unless you go, I'm not going, I'm not doing that alone. And maybe there was some good reason for that. I mean, after all, the armies that come, they had iron chariots. All right, you got to understand, at that time, iron chariots, that was, that was some good tech right there. I mean, that was, that was, the, that was like tanks. That was like going into, going into battle with, with tanks. And, 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 and they, that seemed huge. It seemed like a suicide mission, like Boy Scouts going in with muskets against tanks. I mean, that was the kind of thing. Nevertheless, Deborah agrees to go with them, but she says, listen, 
because you wouldn't go in, God's going to honor a woman instead because you wouldn't go in. And God, God sent a storm. This is what happens. This is what God does. When circumstances don't, you, you, like God tells you to do something impossible, you're like, I don't know how to do that. You just obey the next step that God tells you to do. God will work out the details. He'll do the miracles. What he does, he sends a flood. And all those iron chariots all of a sudden get stuck in the mud and they get routed. Who can do that? God can. God can. And there was this guy, Cicero, he was the captain of the army. He escaped, and then he was tripped and trapped and nailed to the ground by a woman named Jael who drove a tent peg through his temple. Gross. Right? She covers him up, and all of a sudden, you know, here comes, here, here comes Barak. He comes listening. He comes looking for him. Hey, show me the man you're looking for. Come, I'll show him to you, Jael says. And there was Cicero nailed to the ground, not by a man, but by a woman. Why? Because although he was called to look, and you go, well, what kind of faith? This guy doesn't seem like he has any faith. Yet he's in this chapter. What does that tell us? Faith as small as a mustard seed. God is looking for some people of faith. Will he find faith on the earth? That's what I'm asking. Will God find faith on the earth? Will God find faith in the church of Painesville Assembly of God? Is there anybody here who God says, I can find faith in, but I'm scared, but I'm timid. Or maybe like the next person that's mentioned here, you're out of control. By the way, that's Samson. Called by birth, given a gift of supernatural strength. Yet he was a man bristling with contradiction, wasn't he? He was a man of faith, but he had a weakness for women. He was a man of prayer, but he had uncontrollable fits of anger. He was a leader of Israel. He lusted after Philistine women. He was a man of God who lacked common sense. He was empowered by the spirit, but too many times he lived by the flesh. Any of you on a roller coaster? You waffle between faith and flesh, faith and flesh, faith and flesh. Listen, listen, I've got good news for you. Samson is listed here. God can use you as flawed as you are. God can use you. Why? God uses, God uses flawed people, people with past like Rahab and Jephthah, people who are fearful like Gideon and Barak, people who lied like Jacob and Abraham, people who had lust issues like Samson and David. Samuel is listed here. He was a great prophet of the Lord, but he was a terrible parent. Like his predecessor, Eli, he didn't discipline his kids and teach them how to lead and how to follow the Lord. He was a bad parent. He, he followed the Lord. He was, he was somebody that was a great prophet. He was a terrible parent. Like Eli, Moses and David both committed murders throughout Scripture. And yet Hebrews 11.34 gives us this hope, whose weakness was turned to strength. Now let me, let me just say this when it comes to weakness. Weakness is not a license for you to go out and live however you want to. That, that is not the goal here. There are times, what I'm telling you is, there are times when you lack faith. There are times when you slip up. There are times when you make mistakes. But you need to understand that that does not completely disqualify you. In fact, those weaknesses are something you can begin to turn to the Lord. And you can watch the Lord take a weakness and turn it into a strength. You can take by faith and say, well, I don't have faith in myself because I'm flawed. Because I've made mistakes. Because I have a past. Because I struggle in these areas because I because of this because of that and all these excuses you've lined up as to a reason why God can never use you or why you can't be a person of faith and I want to tell you there is hope for you there is hope for you if you will take and that weakness and you will begin to admit and say God I need your help I want to follow you
These are areas of weakness, but in my weakness, you are made strong. Come on, that's what it's all about. Paul uses the same thing, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Now we have this treasure in, in, in clay jars so that this extraordinary power of God, uh, power may be from God and not from us. That's all we are. We are clay pots, friends. We are ordinary kitchenware. We are easily cracked and often broken, right? We're not expensive china that you buy, you know, in some New York City high dollar store. We're Walmart kitchenware, all right? We, we are family dollar, all right? We go in there and that's what we are, all right? We are cracked, we are chipped, and yet God gives us the grace anyway if we will put our faith and we will have our faith in the substance of who he is. And when it comes to faith, we have to choose to believe that God can use us in spite of our weaknesses and our flaws for his glory. Thirdly, choosing to hold on to God's promise even when it means suffering and difficulty. That's probably the hardest. I was alluding to it earlier. It's a choice to endure suffering even when you don't ever see relief this side of eternity. That's how he ends, that's how the writer ends the chapter on faith. Look at Hebrews 11, 35 to 39. Women received their dead, uh, back their dead, raised to life again. That was good. But listen, there are others, and that's where we want to go. There are others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. This final listing doesn't even give us names. It includes many who had experienced persecution, they experienced death, they experienced difficult circumstances, and they didn't get their answer to prayer, they didn't get their relief, they didn't get their promise this side of heaven. How do you know that is hard to walk through? In fact, they didn't get the material possessions and they didn't get a pain-free life. There are many preachers out there that are going to tell you that if you follow Jesus, that might, that, that's a, a consequence on the other side of it. I'm going to tell you something. Walking in faith and walking with your eyes on Jesus does not mean a pain-free, comfortable life. Give that up. That might be your Isaac. The God of comfort that we've come to hang on to. These folks are suffering. They're in the midst of difficulty. They're in the midst of pain. They're in the midst of difficult circumstances. And it says that this side of heaven, they did not experience relief. They lived in caves and mountains, and they didn't get a nice house. Sheepskins and goatskins, they didn't go shopping at the, the best stores and come out looking all, you know, gussied up and all beautiful and all the, the latest styles. They experienced mistreatment. They went through difficult circumstances. They had to endure by faith. And these examples teach us that faith is about a choice to hold on and endure even in the midst of suffering or difficulty. Even means hanging on to the promises of God even when the answer might be eternity and not the present. It's learning how to trust in the goodness and the sovereignty of God and choosing to hold on and trust the eternal promises of God and not 
the present realities? In the midst of your present realities, do you trust and can you endure for a hope that is greater and that is lasting? See, that's the eternal side of faith. There are times here where we may get miracles. There are times here where God may answer and God may heal and God may deliver. There are times here where God may provide, where God may show you breakthrough. But there are other times when maybe the answer to prayer didn't come. Maybe you didn't get the healing. Maybe you continued to trust. But your faith, the purpose of your faith is not not in the present reality, but it's in the eternal promise. It's in the promise that is eternal. And again, what do we learn by this? You say, well, how is that faith? Because trusting in God and in, in, in this is all about who we're trusting, and it's not about what we're receiving, at least not here. It's all about who. Faith is all about the substance. It's all about what we believe and who we believe and do we, can we trust that God is loving and God is merciful and God is good even when our circumstances are not? Can we hang on and endure? Many years ago, a ship known as the Empress of Island went down with 130 Salvation Army officers on board along with many other passengers. Only 20, 21 of the Salvation Army officers survived. Of the 109 that drowned, not one had a life preserver. Many of the survivors told, these brave, told how these brave people, seeing that there was not enough life preservers, took off their own and gave it to others saying, you know what, I know Jesus, I can die better than you can. Do you know Jesus? Because when you know Jesus, even when every circumstance in the present reality seems to be going under, can you trust for his eternal promises? Can you, can, can you endure with your eyes fixed on the eternal promises? See, the chapter that follows this then encapsulates these illustrations by saying, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... What's he, he, what's he saying? He's linking chapter 12 to chapter 11. The great cloud of witnesses, all of these who have gone before, including these who endured by faith and yet didn't see the present reality or circumstances change, yet they kept an eye on eternity. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every sin, and the, the sin that so easily entangles, all right? I, I don't have it memorized, but let us run the race with perseverance, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus. What is he? He is the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith. He is the one in which our faith begins, and he is the one who will bring our faith to completion, the author and the finisher. Where is your faith? See, when it comes to faith, we all have to make a choice. We can choose to take a look at the circumstances before us, the flaws within us, the difficulties ahead of us, and get discouraged. Or we can look at that, we can let the things uh, of this world take us away from the Lord. We can choose that, let it take away from the Lord, and trust in ourselves or trust in somebody else. Or we can choose to trust in the Word of God. 
We can choose to trust in his promises despite our present circumstances that look impossible. We can choose to trust the redeeming character of God who uses us despite our flaws and our weaknesses. We can choose to look towards the greater promises of eternity, enduring in faith through the suffering of today. We all have a choice to make when it comes to faith. And the question is, will you choose to live by faith to walk by faith, to worship by faith, to work by faith, to journey by faith, to wait by faith, to endure by faith. What will you choose when it comes to faith? Or better question, who will you choose when it comes to faith? Who will you choose? Let's bow our heads this morning. There are some of you that need to make a choice today as to whether you're going to trust Jesus with your life. Whether you're going to choose to invite Jesus into your heart and into your life and when you're going to choose to surrender your sin, surrender your salvation to him. And if that's you this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed and you'd say, you know what, that's me. Today I need to choose Jesus. Today, I need the salvation of Jesus. I need the redemption of Jesus. If that's you today, will you slip up your hand? I want to choose Jesus today. I want to choose Jesus today. I want Jesus in my life today. Is there anybody at all? You'll say, Pastor, pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, let's pray. There are a few that raise their hands today. I just want to pause right now. We're going to pray for others, but I want to pray right now. If you raise your hand, you say, I want to, I, I, I want to choose Jesus today. I just want you to pray with me. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer of faith today. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I thank you today that you love me and that you came to save me. I choose you today. I choose to put my faith in you. I ask you today to forgive me of my sin, the choices that I've made to disobey your word. I ask you to come into my life today to forgive me of my sin and to make me clean. I choose today to put my faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I still want us to keep praying today. If you're here today and you're in present circumstances and you're just struggling with faith today and you need strength today or maybe you're struggling with your own flaws today, and, and you need to do some, you're doing some soul searching. You might need to repent today. You might need to change, whatever it is. But you're in the midst of these circumstances. Maybe you need to endure today. But you say, you know, in the midst of this, there is something I need prayer. I need prayer because my faith is shaken. I need prayer today because, because I'm struggling in my faith. And whatever reason, will you slip up your hand today? I want to pray for you. I'm just struggling in my faith. I'm struggling in some way. Jesus, you see those that are struggling right now in the name of Jesus. We just pray, Lord, that you will just begin to remind us of who you are. That, God, out of a relationship with you, that as we begin to grow in our, in our relationship and our walk with you, that, Lord, you would remind us of the promises in your word, that you would encourage us, encourage us through the truth of your word, that, God, you would begin to encourage and strengthen our faith, that we would continue to hang on and to keep our eyes fixed on you. 
Oh Lord, we hang on today. We hang on today and we continue to look to you. We don't know what the outcome will be, but God, our hope is not in an outcome. Our hope is in you. Our faith is in you. Our trust is in you. Our trust is in you. Our trust is in you. We trust you. We trust you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's stand. If you want prayer today, will you come? If you want to just do some business with God, will you come? Maybe God's just doing something in you, and you want to respond to the Lord. We got time. The Browns don't start till 1. Come on. We got time. Let's make sure that we just do some business with God. Come on. If you want prayer, will you come, and we'll be up here to pray. If you want to pray on your own, just come and kneel down. Come on. Come on. Let's ask the Lord to strengthen our faith. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's Word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.